you're listening to Sermon Audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. To check out our other media, or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. Perception is reality. Think about that for a second. Perception in the dictionary means the ability to see, hear, or become aware of something through the senses. Reality means the world or state of things that actually exist. Put those together, and what you see, what you hear, what you perceive, and what you can touch is real, is reality. Allow me to share with you a story from my childhood that shows that perception is not always reality. When I was a kid, like some of you in this room, your parents want to protect you, do everything they can to protect you from physical harm. Like my parents, you may have heard this, look both ways before you cross the street. Don't talk to strangers. Don't put that in your mouth, or this may be just me. Don't play with that. Put that back in the toilet. Um, stuff like that, you know. But not only did my family seek to keep me protected from the physical dangers in this world, they also sought to protect me from the grim reality of emotional pain as long as they could. When I would go visit my dad on the weekends, we at one point we had pet hamsters. He had a hamster. I had a hamster. His was black and white, named after probably the best Looney Tune character ever, Tasmanian Devil. And mine, you can fight me on this, I named mine after the best Marvel character, Wolverine. Thank you. I knew I had to get some, someone to agree with me. But I, I remember bursting into the house when I would go, see, uh, go to them on the weekends. My grandma's cooking dinner. My grandpa's watching the angel game. And I remember bursting into that door and grabbing him out of the cage, setting him on the bed and playing don't fall off. Just trying to corral him throughout it. But as time went on, I realized my hamster had a superpower. Pretty cool. Uh, I remember one month I would go, he would be a lot smaller than Taz. And other months I would come and he would be way bigger than Taz. I mean, it's being a little generous, saying it's a superpower, because it took so slow to happen it. But as, as time went on, my perception was that hamster had superpowers. And we all unfortunately know Hamsters don't have superpowers. So what was the reality of this situation? Well, my dad had the superpower. He had the hamster dealer down at the pet store, and he was able to pick the exact pattern of my hamster. My reality did not match my perception. My dad did these things to protect me from the emotional pain dealing of, with the death of a hamster at a very young age. I share this story because today we will see 
that this idea of perception versus reality regarding death and the resurrection. People perceive their ideas and experiences one way. But Jesus comes and displays the reality in a powerful demonstration. Today we will see the perception and reality of death and resurrection. We will see uh, in, in verse 38, the perception, perception versus reality of, the, of humanity of Christ. And then we will go on in verse 38, 39, and 40, the, the perception versus reality of death and belief. And three, the perception versus reality of the authority of Christ over death. Please turn with me to John 11, verses 38 through 44. But before we get into the text, I think it's really pivotal that we set the scene. Remember, this is not a joyous scene we're entering. This is not a happy place to be in. This is a very somber setting. We are in a graveyard. It's kind of like a funeral, but not really, because there's no service going on, no organization, no one handing out pamphlets as they enter the graveyard. It's just a group of people, Mary, Martha, and the Jews, weeping loudly over the death of a loved one. There's, there are tears There is grieving, there is mourning, there is sorrow, there is pain. This is a setting we don't want to be in, but a lot of us inevitably will be and probably have been recently. Please stand as we conclude the the teaching of Lazarus. Jesus... Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Mary, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they, they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you, that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Father God, Lord, as we come to you this morning, I pray, Lord, that you first and foremost are glorified, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and have the pen preparing our hearts to receive your word this morning, Lord. I pray that you are glorified and that our hearts and lives are changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Then Jesus was deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. The perception versus reality of the humanity of Christ. We get to see a glimpse into the humanity of Christ. In this verse, he's at a tomb in a graveyard displaying very genuine human reaction to death. Jesus was deeply moved again. This translation in the ESV kind of softens it. But if you look, there might be a little notation in your Bible by that word, and it'll go to the word indignant. And I'll admit, when I was first reading this and preparing this, I was perplexed. Jesus was, why would John write, Jesus was indignant when he was just weeping? He was angry. As Puzo talked last week, we, we see him angry at death. Very angry at death. But this is a different type of anger than we've seen Jesus display. He's, this isn't the anger of him going into and flipping tables. It's very different. It is, it is a sorrowful anger. Jesus is filled with sorrow in this moment and angry at death because this is not how it's supposed to be. He surrounded Mary and Martha, and he wept with them, and he consoled them. I can imagine all of us would have has the same reaction towards death, of being angry at death and sorrowful when it happens. Jesus was born like us. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got tired. Jesus got tempted, though he never sinned. Jesus worked a day job before he began his ministry. Jesus most likely experienced what we experience when you're 30 or older. My back. In the morning. Jesus also expressed heartbreak in this narrative. Jesus knows the pain of sorrow that we feel when death happens to a loved one. Christ knows the sting of the soul, what happens to the soul. Fully God, fully man experience a human reaction to his enemy, death. The man of sorrows, the God of creation in sorrow over the loss of a friend. It's comforting to know this reality. That he is a divine, holy creator, but also can relate to us in our emotions. Not just physical. Not just, Jesus was hungry, yeah, I get hungry too. Jesus knows what it's like for a soul to be downcast. This shows not only that he knows but I think more importantly that he understands. 
He understands. And that's what we want in our relationships, is to be known. Not only just known, but understood. Christ knows His sheep. He knows His children. And He understands in the most humanly way possible. Not only does Christ sympathize with our weaknesses and our temptations, but He knows and understands a broken heart. And He responds by weeping with those who weep. He is indignant at death because this is not how it ought to be. We've seen the perception versus the reality of Jesus' humanity. Now we'll see the perception of reality of death and belief in 39 and 40. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha and the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. After wiping away his tears from his cheeks, Jesus approached the tomb where his friend lay. And he said, take away the stone. It's a really odd thing to hear if you were just there not expecting a miracle or anything to happen. You know, move that stone. I liken it to someone saying in a graveyard, dig up that dirt. Remove what, what covers the dead. It's an odd thing to say. I don't think Martha's response to this would be any different than us. Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Or in King James Version, he stinketh. He's going to stink. The, and I can imagine her thinking, the body's decaying in there. Why would you open that tomb? The stench of death is, will be overwhelming. I was there, Jesus. I was holding Lazarus' hand as it squeezed mine for the last time. I felt the coldness of his body as I began to wrap him in, in linen. I wrapped his face, which once bared a smile that brought me joy that I may never see again, that I won't see again. He's dead. It's done. He stinketh. And after four days, bacteria starts to break down the tissue cells, releasing fluid into the body cavities, releasing a foul-smelling gas. His body was reverting back to the dust he was created from. When it comes to belief, it's not always easy. I'll stand here before you saying it's not easy. I love what R.C. Sproul said. It's easy to believe in God. It is difficult to believe Him. It is easy to believe in God. It is difficult to believe Him. 
It's especially difficult to believe God at his word when your heart is filled with sorrow and grief. It's difficult to have an eternal mindset for all of our situations in life. We are merely human beings in a fallen world. We are to experience those pangs. And our faith will be tested. Our faith will be challenged. It is not easy. Challenged in the most uncomfortable ways. It's easy for us to go to a bookstore and pick up all these books on doctrine and theology and creeds and confessions and listening to theological podcasts, sermons, or maybe even seminary classes. We we can consume all of those sermons we want. All of the trustworthy theologians of our day and read those true realities they're delving into and say in our hearts, yes and amen, I believe. It's easy as long as our belief remains passive. It is when the grim reality of this fallen world hits a square in our souls that all of the doctrine and all of the theologians and all of the books we've read seem to vanish away. Martha had her doctrine right. In chapter 11, verse 27, just a few verses before this, she made a confession similar to Peter's. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. But in the midst of of a sorrowful heart and a grieving soul. Can we really say in those moments and with 100% of our being, God is good? My biggest test of, of belief and faith coupled with death, I'm going to try to get through this. Next part. My life was drastically changed in 2005. My family had just moved from, L- from Orange County, L.A., Southern California to Texas. And uh, was on the, I was in California at the time in December for visiting family for Christmas and the holidays. And I remember clear as day, my dad was on the 605 freeway. And when we got in... He got a phone call, and on that phone call, I just noticed my dad's countenance fell. He got a call, got off the freeway, pulled into the first parking lot that he could find, looked me in the eyes, and said, your mom is not going to make it. She's gone septic, has had a heart attack, and is in a coma. At the time, I had faith. I thought I had the faith of a watermelon. I was also brought up with a theology, really bad theology, of if you just have enough faith, God will do something for you. Just have enough faith. And I just have the faith of a mustard seed. I had the faith of a stinking watermelon. 
And I wanted to stay in California. I didn't want to go back to Texas. I wanted to stay there and finish out my vacation, not because I loved my mom, because in my heart I had undoubtable faith that God will heal her, that she would be fine, that I would finish out the vacation, go home, and she would be there, welcome me through the doors with a hug and kiss. That did not happen. I remember that hospital room, the smell, the sounds, holding her warm hand, brushing her hair away from her ear to whisper, wake up, in Jesus' name, wake up. She passed. My faith died that day. I believed in God, but it was so hard to say he was good in that moment. Just have faith, they said. She's gone. If you were here, Jesus, she would have lived. When the reality of death hits the soul, it's like an ocean just taking a nap on your chest. Overcome with so much sorrow, my soul could not utter in that moment with faith that God was good. I know I'm not the only one. Did I not tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And this is probably the most prayed prayer I've ever prayed in my life. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Because right now it's difficult in my heart to be joyous, God. It's difficult to believe what you say when my soul feels so down. You said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Where's my comfort? It's not here. Where is this peace that surpasses all understanding? I'm anxious, Lord. I need this. I need the peace, but it's not coming. When we get to that point, it's easy to perceive that we are alone. I did. I know it did for me, but the reality of that today is right now, here today, in this room, We have community. We are the children of God. We are here to help bear the burdens and walk through you. So I urge you, church, if you're going through this, speak up. Let yourselves be known. Don't go with this whole mentality. I'm just going to push it down and push it down and push it down. I did that for years. And it was just like holding a a balloon underwater. You can only do it for so long before it comes up and then you've got to push it back down and it'll come up and it'll push it back down. It's exhausting. We have community, guys. Let's do it and use it. Bear our souls in our community groups. I know you introverts don't like to talk really much at the, those things, but have that person you talk to. Let it out. 
be known and be understood. We've seen the reality or the perception versus reality of death and belief. Now let's, we're going to see the re- perception versus reality of the authority of Christ. Verses 41 through 44. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me. But I said this on the account of people standing around that they may believe you sent me. I want you to notice anytime Jesus lifts his eyes up, something's going down. Something's about to happen. Jesus, in a posture of uh, prayer, lifted his eyes to heaven and began to pray. But notice what he didn't pray for. We all know the end of the story, so if you don't know, I'm just going to ruin it for you early. He didn't pray for Lazarus to be raised. He didn't. It doesn't mean he wasn't praying before. But he prayed audibly, not for the benefit of of him or the benefit of Lazarus, but for people around who were listening, that they may believe that you sent me. He didn't pray for peace. He didn't pray for comfort. He prayed for belief in the hearts of those around him. In this, in this, we see the mission of Christ in union with the Father. That this glory sign would put on display, that's about to be put on display, will authenticate who Christ has been saying He is the whole time. That He's sent by the Father so that we may believe. Jesus said earlier in the chapter, Lazarus' illness is not an illness that leads to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 43, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. He cried out with all authority, with the authority that made mere water to wine, that calmed the raging seas, that said, let there be light. He's cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came, the man who was dead, who had died, came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips and his face was wrapped with cloth. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine the people's reaction in this graveyard? Be honest. Let's be real. I'm sure everyone's mouths were like slack-jawed, like could not believe what they were saying. Others would probably, I need to go change because my robe stinketh now. What a sight to behold. The tomb that held Lazarus was now empty. I can imagine seeing Jesus standing in front of this open tomb, looking at it, thinking to himself, soon, soon. Because in a week's time, 
One of the many plots to kill Jesus will become successful. I do want to add this a little bit different. They wanted to kill Lazarus too. Why? Verses 12, uh, John 12.10 Because people were coming and believing in Christ. Soon Christ will be beaten, bloodied, bruised, nailed upon a cross, dying a criminal's death. And in three days, what would happen in that tomb? I'll ruin the story again. Christ, in all of His authority, raised Himself up with no one to help Him unbind the linens that were around Him. With no one to remove that stone that was sealing Him in. He, divine, human God, walked out of that tomb triumphantly with death to its back. And that we may have life in His name. Hebrews 2, 14-25 Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things that through death He might destroy the one who has power of death. That is the devil, and deliver all of those through fear of death were subject to a lifetime long of slavery. Death has been destroyed. The serpent's head is crushed. Jesus is victorious. And we will taste. we will be raised with Him in the last days. This is our hope. The God we worship, the the God we're crying out to in our pain and our hurt has all authority over life and death. He adopted you. He called you to Himself that we may have life in His name. Though the pain of death bruises our souls and we grieve, we don't grieve without hope. That is the reality, not perception. Granted, it was a fun time as a child, having imagination with my hamster, but when reality sank in and realized I was being lied to, it's like a punch to the gut. Even though My dad had good intentions. Waking up to reality, however, doesn't always have to be so devastating. In terms of the gospel, it's actually freeing. It's freeing to know that Jesus was really a human, sharing in our likeness and our pains and our sorrows and everything that we go through, but did not sin. It's freeing to know that the resurrection is just as as real and stunning and more glorious than death. It is astonishing to think that Jesus experienced both of those so that we too would rise with Him. It's freeing to know 
that Jesus has supreme authority over death that gives us great confidence and hope that we are eternal beings with a God who is greater than our greatest enemy, which is death. Another stunning of the picture of the gospel with perception versus reality. Let's go back to the beginning, the setting when we were in a graveyard. At the beginning, they were filled with weeping, with sorrow, with grief. The perception of of the graveyard on this side of heaven is grim and depressing. But the reality of the graveyard in the light of the gospel is what God's words tell us in 1 Corinthians 15, that each tomb is just a little crop. They're going to raise again. People who are set to rise when Jesus returns. This is a small but yet significant shift in perspective for everything as believers. The shift of understanding perception versus reality through the lens of the gospel What was filled with sorrow, grief, and weeping is now filled with joy and celebration. And belief as the glory of God was put on display. Now, I want to ask you these three simple questions as we get back to the week. As you guys go back to your daily grind. Do you believe Jesus is God made flesh? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe He has all authority over sin and death? I want to invite you to come to believe in no longer in your personal perceptions of Jesus, but in the reality of who He says He is by His Word. I'll leave you with one last verse. 1 Corinthians 15.21 For as... By a man came death. By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead.